Philadelphia has been under one party rule for over 60 years and this creates an unhealthy political imbalance that leads to corruption and complacency and as a result of that I wish to be the candidate who can prosecute these types of crimes without being indebted or obligated to a party machine. It's springtime in Philadelphia so the candidates are making the rounds, making their case and sometimes making fun of their opponents. I mean they've all got their progressive pants on today but some of our some of us have holes in those pants, okay? You need an outsider, you need a change maker, and I'm that candidate. And making points from personal experience. I can tell you about stop and frisk because I was stopped and frisked. My brother was stopped and frisked. My son was stopped and frisked. I can tell you about police getting hit me on the head with a flashlight because I got hit on the head with a flashlight. They need to sue somebody to get some money to understand that. So that's amazing. You just heard from three of the eight candidates for District Attorney of Philadelphia. In order, Beth Grossman, Larry Krasner, and Tariq El-Shabazz. It's a campaign for an important office with a varied field of candidates who are raising issues that go to the heart of what's happening in America today. But is anybody paying attention, and will anybody show up to vote? I'm Chris Satulo, and this is 20 by 70, the podcast for people who expect more from Philadelphia. I'm sitting here at the Wexler studio inside Kelly Writer's house on the Penn campus, and I'm thinking about Philadelphia's off-year elections. It's tough work, but somebody's got to do it. Philadelphians go to the polls May 16th for primaries to set up the fall ballot for district attorney, city controller, and a host of county and state judgeships. And here at the Committee of 70, we take every election seriously. Still, off-year ballots such as this one usually generate about as much excitement among city voters as the annual regional curling championship up in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Turnout for these elections is considered good if it gets into the upper teens. But could this time be different? It's the first election since the last election surprised, alarmed, and energized many voters in this very blue city. The incumbent DA is not on the ballot because he's been accused of corruption. And this election of the city's chief prosecutor comes at a time of great concern about Black Lives Matter, police misconduct, official corruption, and crowded prisons. So could this time be different? To explore that question and the issues driving the DA's race, we've invited two of Philly's top political bloggers and radio figures. Dave Davies is senior writer for WHYY Newsworks Public Media and a fixture on Fresh Air. Welcome, Dave. Good to be here, Chris. Solomon Jones hosts the morning talk show on WURD Radio and writes for both Newsworks and the Daily News. Welcome, Solomon. Thank you. So, guys, it used to be DA candidates just talked about how good they'd be at locking people up. But this race has been a little different, hasn't it? Yeah, it's remarkable. I, I think it is the singular feature of this contest is that nobody is a law and order candidate, really. Um, Judge Teresa Carr Denai a little bit maybe talks about kind of protecting people and is willing to say she'll use the death penalty. But in the main, this is about decarceration, about fewer arrests and convictions. It's about justice and fairness. Solomon, you were sort of in the middle of it last night at WHYY, where you were moderating the NAACP WHYY debate. Um, What were your takeaways from that? What struck you? I think what struck me was that there were a couple of candidates who seemed very articulate, who seemed very sure about uh, their stance on things. Um, Larry Krasner, I think, stood out for me in that regard. I think uh, Tarek El-Shabazz stood out for me in that regard. And Jack O'Neill 
I think stood out for me as well. Um, I think that a lot of them at this point, having uh, been at so many forums and uh, stated their position so many times, are used to these canned answers. And I had to prod them a little bit to answer some of the questions with something besides uh, the the standard campaign elevator speech. But um, I, I think that a couple of them re- really stand out with the the courage of their convictions. Joe Kahn as well. Yeah, that's that's something that's a, a syndrome journalists all deal with at this time of year. And yep. city races, the great thing is everybody wants candidates to show up and answer questions, and they show up. But by the time it hits April or May, yeah. everybody knows everybody everybody else's answers. Dave, anything strike you? You've covered the debate for WHOY. I think they mostly played the roles that they have played in any number of encounters. I mean, Larry Krasner is, is in some respects a standout. I agree with Solomon on that. And his pitch is essentially, yeah, yeah, you're all wearing your progressive pants tonight, but a bunch of you got holes in them. I've been doing this for 25 years. I've walked the walk. You're just now talking the talk. And the interesting question for me about Krasner is, uh, it is true that he has been a committed and principled defender of protesters and civil rights attorney for all this time. Is he prepared to manage a department that actually has to prosecute tens of thousands of cases? And, and I think this is important for all of them, if they're going to achieve the kinds of reforms that they say they want to embrace, they're going to have to deal with the court system, with politicians in City Hall and with Harrisburg, with the parole system. And that's going to involve you know, building relationships, you know, embracing compromise, figuring out how to get things done. And it's hard to know, as they express their principles, how good they'll be at it. Right. So we should probably step back and set the scene a bit. In the Democratic primary, we have seven candidates. In the Republican primary? Uh, One. Just one. um, Beth Grossman. Um, What are the things that they all pretty much seem to agree on? And then what are the things they're using to distinguish themselves? Well, I think that all of them are trying to sound as if they agree on uh, police reform. Um, I don't know that all of them actually do. I don't know that Rich Negrin, having been endorsed by the FOP and the Guardian Civic League, uh, and I think one more police organization, can really... Um, stick to that stance. I think that you dance with who brought you. And uh, if the FOP is able to bring him to the dance, then he's going to have to dance with them. I think that uh, all of them are trying to sound like they want to uh, do something about bail reform. Um, You know, the the district attorney has some influence on that, doesn't control it altogether. Um, And I think that uh, all of them kind of agree on uh, a softer touch in terms of uh, the lock them up and throw away the key um, kind of stance that DAs have traditionally taken. I think in this age of protest, in this age of mass incarceration, where people uh, from across the spectrum, both conservatives and liberals, are standing up and saying there are too many people in prison, I think anybody who runs for that type of office has to take that stance. The question is, and I think Dave uh, articulated it well. Can they actually do that? Can Krasner, as somebody who's worked from outside the system against the system, come into the system and be effective? I have some questions about that, too, although I think a lot of people from my community, from the white liberal community as well, love what he is saying. The question is, can you jump on the other side and do it? I think the perfect example of the problems that you have with that comes from the opposite side of the spectrum. Donald Trump. 
an outsider who said he was going to come in and do all of these things and do them quickly um, is is really coming up against reality. And I think an outsider candidate in this race would do the same thing. All candidates in Philadelphia really thank you, Solomon, for comparing them to Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dave, uh, have any of the candidates sorted themselves out along that particular metric for you in terms of seeming to be serious or understand the dimensions of the managerial task here? No, I don't think. Negrin is the one who talks about it because he was Philadelphia's managing director for six years. All of them have within this general rubric of we're going to convict less, incarcerate less, have particular things that they choose to distinguish themselves. Michael Untermeyer has spent a lot of money on TV ads. And what he says is, I have plans. He's gone and he's had people develop specific plans. He's not particularly charismatic at presenting them, but that's sort of what he does. Um, Joe Kahn talks about his background, the son of a Pakistani immigrant and, a, and, a, and an Irish mom and his experiences in um he was he was a law student of Barack Obama. That's in the ad which he has, which will be out by the time this podcast airs. Um, Jack O'Neill says he's the most experienced guy, which is interesting. He's also the youngest, dropped into the race at the last minute, and he has more experience in the Philadelphia DA's office than anybody. But he's pretty polished in the way he presents himself. One thing we've seen about him, and this is interesting, just this week, is a good chunk of support from the Philadelphia building trades, the construction unions, who um, tend to spend money, tend to put boots on the ground. And at the speech where he accepted those eight endorsements, he said, I will, within 30 days, appoint a deputy labor liaison so you will have direct communication with somebody who understands what you need, which kind of sounds like embracing a special interest. He yeah. says it's not. But so, <laughs> but so they've all got angles they're working. What exactly does a liaison from the DA's office do with the building. I don't even understand the point there. Maybe well, I'm a little slow on the uptake, as you know. Dave, as you but. might guess, I asked him about this afterward. It says, you sounds like you're going to give a special interest, special accents. Not at all, he says. What he did say was, well, first of all, he talked about how the building trades create, they are, I don't know if they create, he says they create, they are, they are associated with good paying jobs, and they, we want to divert people who are arrested into paths of promise and rehabilitation, and he thinks the trades may be helpful. I don't know that they need somebody to call to, to, to offer those services. More realistically, what he said is, we want to crack down on rogue employers, read non-union employers, mm-hmm. who dodge taxes, who don't pull the permits they're supposed to, who don't uh, adhere to prevailing wage regulations, and and hurt people and rip off workers. And there's there's an argument to be made for that. Is it the DA's office responsibility to make that a priority? Well, that's a policy question, and it's one that he's embraced. Now, Solomon, for several hours every morning, weekdays on WURD, you talk with the civically engaged African-American residents of Philadelphia. What are you hearing? Um, Are are people paying attention to this race? Um, What are they looking for out of candidates? Um, Do they see the connections that you've talked about and written about between all the issues that have been roiling the community in terms of justice and and policing? Yeah, I I think that people understand that the DA's race is an important race. Uh, The question is, do they show up in an off year? I mean, that really is the question, because if if the African-American community shows up, then we get whoever it is we decide we want. Um, I think that there are several candidates who are um, impressive to people who listen to my show, people like Tarek El-Shabazz, because he is uh, the black candidate, one, 
Two, because he has experience in the DA's office. Three, because he was a defense attorney. Um, And so he has the requisite experience. Um, And I think that he understands the experience of the community in the ways that in ways that the other candidates just can't. Uh, I think people are impressed also with Larry Krasner because he he has been a civil rights attorney, has been someone who we've seen in our community, who we've seen working with various people. I think people have some questions about uh, uh, Rich Negrin because he is endorsed by the FOP and the FOP has not exactly been receptive to uh, the cry of Black Lives Matter, to the uh, protests against unarmed people. Um, from my community being shot and killed by police. I mean, if if 40 percent of those who are unarmed and shot and killed by police in 2015 were black men and black men only make up six percent of the population, something's wrong. Um, and so uh, they have not they have not been receptive to that message. And so there are some questions about somebody who's endorsed by the FOP. Um, and I think with the, the same question with the building trades, the building trades talk about good paying jobs. The reality is they freeze out black people uh, from many of those skilled trades. The electricians union, the carpenters union have frozen out black people for decades. Uh, and so uh, to have them endorse somebody and have that person as the D.A. say, I'm going to make a special liaison to the building trades. First of all, it's ridiculous on its face. But then um, when you look at it from a black perspective, then what you're saying is that you are uh, going to team with people who have worked against black people getting into those unions and getting those uh, jobs that are paid for with our tax dollars. And so I think there are some questions about several of the candidates and, and the people who are supporting them. Right, Salman, you just put words around the ironic smile that you had on your face when Dave is talking about O'Neill's uh, liaison idea. And, and I'll tell you what, what interests me, and this is a development in recent days in this race, Tariq El-Shabazz, who, as Solomon mentioned, is the only African-American candidate, I think is making a clear appeal to that community, um, was the target, was the subject, let's say, of a, of a hard-hitting piece by the city and state website. And I'd want to be careful characterizing it. But essentially, it says that in, in one case in particular, a homicide case 20 years ago, that he took a, guy's, took a guy's money, didn't do the job, and that a federal judge found him uh, found that he had provided insufficient counsel. It was a really tough piece, which Shabazz has called false, defamatory, and racist. But it, it, it's an interest, it's, it'll be interesting to me whether that story has any resonance among African-Americans. And I, wanted, and I, I was interested to see if that's come up on your show yet, Solomon. Yeah, we talked about it today, uh, this morning, in fact. And I think what, what, what can happen when you have one black person in the room and that person is being targeted, other black people begin to rally around them. And so I think it might have the opposite effect um, of, you know, what it might in other communities where people feel like uh, this guy is being targeted. Um, he has said that it, it is racist. Um, he has said that uh, he tried to give uh, a statement to uh, the writer of that of that piece and that the statement was not included because he claims Tariq, Tariq al-Shabazz says that uh, the gentleman wanted an interview and did not want to include the statement and did not. 
And so uh, there are some questions about that. I think for me and, and I think for anybody who's a journalist, there are some questions about that. If somebody gives you a statement, uh, you include the statement um, if you are. Yeah, you I'm know. just, hmm, gentlemen, have we ever seen that before, that uh, critical allegations in the middle of a race against a black candidate actually helped that candidate in Philadelphia? We've definitely seen that yeah. before. Yeah. And are condemned as racist. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, but, I mean, whether it's true or not, I guess my question as somebody who's both a journalist and has been involved in politics is this. Does anybody else have any negatives? Because I haven't seen any um, in print. I haven't seen any come out uh, from our esteemed colleagues in the media. And and I think that begins to raise questions for people when you only have one candidate well, to, who has all fair, of these negatives. Dave recently uh, had a blog post yeah. about one candidate fail, being fined by the Board of Ethics and for failing to f- fail the uh, campaign finance, but okay. not on the same level. Not on uh, the as, same as level. Not on the same level. And so I think that um, we really, as as the media, I think we have to take a look at all of these candidates and not just one. Right. So, Dave, you, you alluded to um, the role, perhaps, of the building trades, and another factor in this race might be the involvement of uh, Super PAC associated with uh, George Soros. Talk a little bit about the politics and the money of politics in this race. Sure. And by the way, it's it's not a super PAC, actually. So I knew I made that mistake. The minute <laughs> I said it, I saw Dave's face and I said, it's not a super PAC. It's a technical thing. In in Pennsylvania, there are no restrictions on what a political committee can spend. on, And so you don't have to have a super PAC in Pennsylvania. You can just do what you want. Um, it's the Wild West. It's mm. Kind of, kind of. Although they're not allowed to coordinate. I mean, essentially what this is, is this is, you know, the liberal billionaire George Soros who has embraced an agenda of reform in the criminal justice system and has poured more than $6 million into efforts to elect progressive district attorneys around the country, and he has fixed his sights on Philadelphia and embraced uh, Larry Krasner. The interesting thing about this is that, you know, he has to wage an independent expenditure. He can't coordinate with Mr. Krasner's campaign, and so he's produced an ad which apparently is not particularly effective and doesn't have good (laughs) production values, and the reason is that the Philadelphia Ethics Board has imposed rules here that don't apply in federal election where there aren't many rules. And one of the rules is you're not allowed to take video from a campaign and pretend you just picked it up on YouTube and wink, wink, nod, nod. We have glossy stuff in which you can do your thing. So for a positive ad by an independent group, you've got to f- use whatever file footage you can and hope, hopefully do it. Some a, shaky Facebook live. Yeah. And, 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 and use Ken Burns magic to make it look good, but it <laughs> wow. often doesn't work very well. And here's the other thing that people forget. When you are buying ad for a candidate, the TV stations have to offer you the lowest possible rate. They don't have to do that for an independent expenditure. And media buyers have told me they give you, let's, let's call it the uh, FU rate, the, <laughs> the get lost rate, mm-hmm. uh, the highest that they can charge. And so your money just doesn't go as far and the ads aren't as good. And when you're named George Soros, they're not too worried about your ability to pay anyhow. So right, right. But, it, yeah. but will, it, will it deliver much punts for Larry Krasner? I mean, these independent expenditure campaigns are much better at negatives because the crappier the photo, the better, right? I mean, right. you want to make people look ugly. Right. It's not so easy to do a positive ad that way. But it's it's money. It's advertising points. It will get his name out there. And who knows? Yeah, the grainy photo and what does Chris Cetullo <laughs> right. have to hide? <laughs> right, right, right. The voice going. Um, so I started the at the top of this episode, jabbering a bit about the question of whether 
um, given the backdrop of Ferguson and Black Lives Matter and, and all the political corruption we've seen in Philadelphia, which also some people feel is properly on the district attorney's plate. With all those important issues, is turnout going to rise any higher than the you, the historical standard for these off-year elections in Philadelphia? Any thoughts about that? I know you can lose a lot of money predicting turnout in off-year elections, but what do you think? I'd be surprised if it's above 15%. Um, it's, you know, these tend to be low turnout, low interest insiders elections, which means people we haven't talked about yet, ward leaders will play a role. Right. And so, and that's also um, an issue that you've written about a lot, that in these elections, if the ward leaders can just get 15 people, you know, to turn up who wouldn't turn up otherwise. Per for, division, yeah. Yeah, per division for uh, a candidate. Do you have any sense of where the ward leaders are on this? Are they divided or are they, you know? I've been trying to get a sense and they're kind of all over the place. I mean, at, at the building trades union rally for young Jack O'Neill the other day, there, there were about a half a dozen ward leaders, most of them from Northeast Philadelphia, um, all of them white ward leaders. I mean, if that matters to anybody, um, none of them told me they were for sure going to be supporting him. They were kind of hedging their bets. Michael Untermeyer has a lot of money to spend and is offering money to ward leaders. He, you can look in his campaign finance report. He's already given $10,000 to John Sabatina, who's known for being of power in the northeast part of the city. Some wards have come out for Joe Kahn, three or four, I think, publicly. I've heard of um, others that have gone for, for Negrin. Um, the interesting question, again, this comes back to whether Tariq El-Shabazz will be able to attract a, a big critical mass of African-American support. I, I, I'm not sure where a lot of African-American ward leaders are. I mean, there mm -hmm. have been times in the past when they've kind of tried to act in concert. I'm sensing less of that this time. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure either. So don't look at me. I don't know <laughs> where that's they a, are. That's but an insider's I, game. But yeah. I know um, that, uh, you know, the Northwest wards are important. Uh, the Northwest wards delivered us uh, Jim Kenney. Um, and, and we'll see how that turns out. And uh, and we'll look back on it and understand the effect of that. But I think that in this race, it's going to matter uh, in the 50th and the 10th and the 9th. It's going to matter what those ward leaders say, uh, because that again, that that's what puts you on the ballot. And in a race like this where people aren't paying attention and don't know much about the candidates, um, that really matters uh, what your ward leader says, what that sample ballot says when you go into that booth. And that's why people pay ward leaders um, in order to, to sway the electorate. But I, but I also think that there is a wild card. I think if people if something happens uh, in these last days uh, toward uh, leading up to this election that makes people angry, that makes people concerned, uh, then that can swing this election. And so. Um, that's what I'm watching for. I'm watching for that silver bullet that's going to make people angry because that's what makes people come out, um, you know, more than anything else. Now, at, at the top of our conversation, we mentioned that Solomon moderated Dave Covered and WHYY and WURD and NAACP co-sponsored this uh, candidates forum, which was held as we sit here last night, but it's also going to be on WHYY TV, Dave. How about the free plug? Yeah, that'll be, and, and by the way, I moderated the last third of that Yes, debate, you did. So okay. let's that's, just that's, give Dave his due. I didn't just watch this. <laughs> we didn't just watch You know what, Dave? <laughs> I like to watch. I, I had to peel off and watch my beloved Browns dra draft their number one draft choice, so I stopped listening before you came on, so I apologize. Ah, okay, the truth comes out. <laughs> um, 
This one-hour debate will be on May 7th. That's a week from Sunday at 3.30 p.m. on WHYY TV 12. And it's also available right now on Newsworks if you want to listen to the audio. I'm not sure. Is it? I know they were going to post it. I don't know if it's up yet. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that's Solomon Jones of WURD, the Daily News, and WHYY Newsworks and other points in his vast uh, journalistic (laughs) kingdom that we don't have time to mention. Thank you, Solomon. Thank you. And thank you, Dave Davies of WHYY Newsworks. Thank you, Chris. The 20 by 70 podcast is sponsored by Young Involved Philadelphia. Young Involved Philadelphia builds relationships and increases civic engagement to empower and connect young Philadelphians. Yip's next event will be Tuesday, May 23rd at 6 o'clock. It's at the Philadelphia Media Network, and it's a Civics Cafe, a new monthly event breaking down the basics of advocacy, one cup of coffee at a time. Again, that's Tuesday, May 23rd at the Philadelphia Media Network on Market Street, 6 o'clock. Young Involved Philadelphia. Okay, back to business. We've now brought in 20 by 70's resident Civic Yoda, David Thornburg, the president and CEO of the organization. How are you doing today, David? I'm great, Chris. So as I mentioned uh, at the top, um, this is a pretty big and complicated ballot for city elections. Um, We've got the very crowded DA's race. We have the city controller's race and just a ton of judicial races, both at the state and the county level. So what's a desperate voter to do to find information <laughs> about these uh, these races. Yeah, this is a tough one. This is what they call in the vernacular a low turnout, low information race. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of running around at the last minute saying who are these people? How do I choose uh, the one I want to vote for? What do they stand for? Et cetera, et cetera. The good news is the Committee of 70 comes to the rescue. Uh, we just released a day ago uh, a new online tool that's also mobile friendly. Uh, called the Committee of 70 Ballot Tool uh, that we developed with a terrific young startup out of Chicago called Ballot Ready. What this enables you to do is essentially, at a glance, uh, learn about the candidates, um, figure out who you're going to vote for, and then essentially load those onto your own sample ballot that you can then print out and take with you. You can print out and give to your friends. Or I think uh, the coolest feature is that you can email this ballot to your friends, your email list, uh, your Christmas card uh, folks. Um, And in theory, and this is what we're trying to encourage, this could add a whole new dimension to Philadelphia elections, which does acknowledge that particularly for these kinds of elections are largely determined by candidates raising money, giving money to ward leaders, ward leaders put that money out on the street to pay people to hand you a piece of paper before you go into the poll to tell you who the to vote for. The famous palm card. So this is essentially a digital palm card yeah. that you can distribute to your friends yeah, and family. Yeah, exactly. It, it puts the power of uh, this archaic street money uh, system in your own palm <laughs> and uh, allows you to blast away and uh, uh, share your – I think it will also encourage more people to turn out because you get these kind of reminders and so forth. So Ballot Tool uh, powered by Ballot Ready. Go to our website at 70.org and you'll uh, you'll find everything you need to know. And I assume uh, 
that it's kosher for you to bring your if you bring your phone behind the privacy of the curtain there in the voting booth. If you can't remember who it was was on your sample ballot, right? You can pull it out and look at oh, it yeah. and remind yourself. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, we also wanted to mention uh, some very good work done around the DA's race by uh, a f- old friend of the pod, twenty by seventy five podcast, and a frequent guest, Holly Otterbein, with Philadelphia Magazine. She's done some pretty good work. Yeah, she has. Uh, I think this was a, a vow that she took after the November election on our podcast. On our podcast, right? Yeah. right. Um, that uh, as a journalist, she really wanted to complete deep uh, to report deeply and thoroughly on the candidates in a race, regardless of what anyone said uh, about their electability or the chances of winning. So on the Philly Mag uh, site, she has very long uh, profile pieces and kind of position pieces on each of the candidates and. Once you get through the Committee of Seventy stuff, which is your gateway, uh, I think it's a it's a terrific resource yeah. that I'd recommend. For the deeper dive, it's a really good piece of service journalism, and we really commend Holly for doing it. So, David, you were listening in as I talked to Dave Davies and Solomon Jones about the DA's race, the, uh, the crowded field, sort of the difficulty of sorting among these relatively unknown candidates. Also, the high quality of, you know, uh, of the discussion and dialogue so far about important issues. Uh, but it kind of this whole DA's race sort of brings up one of your um, real concerns about how we're doing elections in this country. Yeah, not just this country, but actually specifically in Philadelphia, uh, there's a there's a real structural issue that I don't think serves us well. It actually doesn't serve the candidates well. It doesn't serve the eventual winner. And and here's the story: we have seven candidates in a Democratic primary. Uh, this is a seven-to-one registration-edge Democratic town. So most likely, not for sure, but most likely the person who wins the Democratic primary is going to become the district attorney. We have no threshold requirement. No, in some lot of cities, they'll have, you know, if you don't get 50% of the vote in a, in a primary, there's a runoff. We have none of that requirement here in Philadelphia. So... Do the math. Uh, you look at the expected turnout, which could be 85, 90,000, give or take. You have seven candidates in this kind of free for all. Uh, the winning candidate, the, the next district attorney of the city of Philadelphia, a million and a half people, could win with as few as maybe 15,000 votes. Right, right. Which just to me seems wrong. So, um, so what's the remedy for that? <clears throat> Well, there's a couple different ways. Uh, one is, I mean, the kind of more cumbersome and expensive ways. You say you have a runoff. You say if you don't get to 50 percent in the primary, then we have to have a redo among the top uh, two candidates, uh, so that we make sure that someone has at least 50 percent. Um, the other way, which we've also talked about on the podcast, is is just kind of a another way of accomplishing the same result, and it's called rank choice voting where a voter lists his or her uh, you know, top three or top five candidates, and then those votes are calculated uh, in such a fashion so that, uh, uh, that a winning candidate has at least 50% of the total of all of those votes. Right, because it's called the instant runoff. Essentially, yeah. through, through a computer program, you sort of run through, well, who's got the most number ones and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and it's it sounds... Uh, Maybe somewhat arcane to you know died in the wool Philadelphia, but it's actually a technique that's been used in about ten major cities. Yeah, Cambridge, the Oakland, country. state of Maine just said it was going to use it for yep. state elections. And so. there's real advantage to it because it again it comes.
comes back to this, we should have people elected to office uh, who have uh, earned at least 50% of the total votes. And I think there's something intuitively right and fair about that. So more to come. Obviously, nothing we can do about this election except get smart and vote. Um, but uh, this could be an issue that we want to pursue in the future. Okay, so to wrap this up, David, to cycle back to what you were talking about at first, that people want to see the information about all the, the elections um, in the city. They should go to the Committee of 70 website? Yep, just 70.org, and, you know, the wonders of our great organization will be at your disposal. And the ballot-ready um, thing is an app you download, or is it just a link that... Uh, no, a it's, a, it's a mobile-friendly website. Uh, so you can get to it from our website, or you can find it uh, on your phone. But it's it's pretty easy to use, pretty intuitive. Don't have to download anything. Just nope. go to the right spot on the web. Nope. Yep. Okay. Thanks very much. That's David Thornburg, CEO and President of Committee of 70. Thank you, David. My pleasure. Well, that's it. Another episode of the Scrappy Little Podcast for people who expect more from Philly. Thanks again to our guests, Dave Davies of WHYY Newsworks and Solomon Jones of WURD Radio Newsworks, and it sometimes seems half the publications in the Western Hemisphere. Hardworking guys both. Huge props, as always, to our engineer Mang the dials and levers in the Wexler studio, the esteemed Zach Cardner. We also welcome to the 20 by 70 family our producer for this episode, Joel Patterson, filling in for Barbara Dundon, who had the nerve to take a family vacation this week in Canada. Hmm, I wonder whether she's taking on those curling championships in Thunder Bay. Praise and gratitude, as always, to 70s head honcho David Thornburg, Philadelphia's Civic Yoda, and to the rest of 70s capable staff and loyal volunteers. So before we close this one down, two more exhortations. Study up on the candidates and issues and vote. Be sure to vote on May 16th. And as always, expect more, Philadelphia. August 1920, Mother Jones put out the call. To the hills of West Virginia came 13,000 strong. Special Boone County where they meet. Take on Sheriff Chafin and his anti-union fleet.